pray that the outreach will be greater than last year, and that will all come about as a result of what you're able to do in helping to cooperate together with this program. I'm going to have you take your Bible this morning, and I want to speak to you this morning uh, and direct your attention to what I think is a very special Old Testament Bible character. Really, I guess she's mentioned also in the New Testament, but um, uh, it's it's a biblical example of someone who was faced with a very difficult and trying uh, responsibility that God had given to this person. And uh, when we open up 1 Kings, the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 17, we're introduced to what I consider to be one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, which is the prophet Elijah. Now, he's not mentioned, listen, he's not mentioned until you open 1 Kings 17. This is where we're introduced to him. And we don't know anything about him because prior to this introduction right here, uh, we don't know where he really came from. We don't know exactly anything about his life. Uh, but the Bible says, if you'll follow along with me, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, Now Ahab was the king of Israel, of the ten tribes of Israel to the north. By this time, the, the kingdom of Israel had divided. And so now each, uh, Benjamin and Judah to the south had kings and the, the kingdoms to the north. So Israel to the north is Ahab. He's the king. <clears throat> His wife is Jezebel. So we've got two very wicked people here that are ruling up in this province of the nation of Israel. And so... It just says, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So, all we know is that God raised up Elijah as a prophet. He was sent to the ivory palace of uh, Ahab. And he was to pronounce a judgment on Ahab and the nation of Israel for the wickedness that had been going on. And you can read about Ahab and Jezebel in the Bible and some of the atrocities that they did and how that they brought in, she brought in Baal worship, uh, from, uh, the Phoenician Empire. When, when he married, uh, the Phoenician princess Jezebel, she brought her 450 prophets of Baal over to the nation of Israel. And they begin uh, to introduce Baal worship. And so, uh, she's, she's extremely wicked. We know that they had people murdered and killed to fulfill their own appetites. Uh, probably what was the final straw was when Elijah, uh, wanted, uh, Naboth's vineyard and couldn't get it because Naboth said, I can't sell it to you. And so, uh, he goes to uh, Jezebel after he goes up to his room, sucks his thumb a little while because he was kind of that kind of a guy. He got his feelings hurt. So she came up and said, how come you're not coming down to dinner to eat with us? And he said, well, because Naboth, I asked for his vineyard and he wouldn't give it to me. And uh, and so I'm up here just kind of, you know, upset. And she goes, oh, don't worry about that. I'll get it for you. So I'm just paraphrasing. She arranged to have Naboth murdered and killed. And uh, an innocent man, a faithful man to God, so that Ahab could have his vineyard. 
And when all of these other things that made such wickedness in the eyes of God, that culminated where God said, Elijah, I want you to go and face Ahab and pronounce a judgment. So he comes into the ivory palace of Ahab and pronounces a famine, uh, that there would be no dew, no rain upon the earth for three and a half years, and that uh, there would be a famine in the land. And then the Bible says this, it says after he pronounced this, he says, And the word of the Lord came unto him in verse 2, saying, You now, now you need to get thee hence, and turn eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, that, and, I, and, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went, Elijah went, and did according unto the word of the Lord. That's always a good thing to do. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. <clears throat> and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And so he says to Elijah, you better get out of their palace. You've just pronounced a judgment. Ahab and Jezebel will seek your life. They had been killing other prophets of God. So he says, I want you to get over to the river Cherith there. Hide yourself there. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. I'll sustain you there and take care of you there. And so he commands the ravens to bring flesh and the river uh, to provide the water. And we don't even know exactly how long that, that Elijah stayed at the river Cherith and survived there by the ravens coming. Now, my take on that was, where did the ravens get the food to provide for Elijah? Well, I think God's got just a sense of humor enough to maybe tell the ravens, why don't you just fly right on into the ivory palace, and while the prophets of Baal are eating with Ahab and Jezebel, just fly right down over their table and scrap up the stuff and then take it over to fly out of their palace and go take it to Elijah. I don't know that, but I, it makes a better story out of it if that's where they got the flesh. But anyway, I, I don't think that God's sending a bunch of just raw, you know, because ravens are a scavenger-type bird, and humans don't like to eat scavenger-type stuff, like out of animals and stuff like that. So I think God fed him better than just, you know, the peckings from some dead animal. I think God probably got the food right off the ones that was chasing him down. And so he stays there. We don't even know how long Elijah stays there. But suddenly, because of the famine and time frame, the river begins to dry, dry up. Once the river dried up, then we pick up the story in the next verse. And I'm going to read from verse number 8 down just to a few verses here. And it's the character that I want us to look at. And uh, so notice in verse number 8, "...the word of the Lord came unto him, saying..." To, to Elijah, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me. Now, I want you to Notice, I'm going to use some of the, the, the alliteration right out of the text here, but how many times the, the, a word is used with an F? 
And it's going to illustrate, I think, and tie into what we're trying to do here this week with missions. Uh, but he says here, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel, and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and for my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Now this passage of Scripture, from verse number 8 down to verse number 16, in my opinion, gives us the mechanics of really what missions is all about. There are certain things that you have to be able to do or required of us in order to sustain our missionaries. Did you notice there in verse number 9, it's kind of what I want to zero in on, he said uh, in the latter part of verse 9, to the widow woman, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. The word for sustain here means to provide sustenance for. It means to make provision. It means to uh, give what's needed. So he says to Elijah, now that the river's dried up, I want you to go into Zarephath. By the way, the city of Zarephath was right in the providence of the Phoenician Empire where Jezebel was raised and born and Ahab found her as a princess. So instead of God sending uh, Elijah into Israel, the lower parts of Israel, which, by the way, contained many widows, uh, God didn't send him there. He sends him right into the Phoenician Empire in the city of Zarephath, which is in the providence of Zidon. And uh, he said, I've commanded a little widow woman there to sustain thee. Now, why didn't he send uh, Elijah down to uh, the parts of his own country? Well, I want you to notice something. If you'll turn to the book of Luke, go to the book of Luke, because a little bit of this story, which we probably didn't even know, is found in the book of Luke, chapter number 4. In Luke chapter number 4, the Lord here in verse number 16 and down through some of these verses, He's entering into a synagogue there on the Sabbath day and He's preaching the Word to them. And He's doing this in His own country. <clears throat> and He's giving them an opportunity to place faith and obedience in the Word that He's given to them. But according to them, they just kind of mock Him and laugh at Him. And so the Lord says here in verse 24, he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. All right? But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, or Elisus, which is the Greek word for Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when a great famine was throughout all the land. So he's reiterating here what we read in First Kings 17. 
He said, there were a lot of widows down in Israel. Uh, and he says, but unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Zarephath, <coughs> a city of Zidon, unto a woman <coughs> that was a widow. <coughs> and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. So, we find here that, according to the Bible, God didn't choose to send Elijah down to Israel, the part of Israel or Judah area where there were lots of widows, because the Bible says here there was no faith in them. Basically, the context of this is that there wasn't a widow that had the faith to do what God told him to do. Any more than there were many lepers in the land, but only one got cleansed because he was willing to do, finally, willing to do what God told him to do. You remember Naaman, who was the captain of the host of the Syrian army, was a leper. And God told him, he said, a little widow or a little maiden in his household said to him, if you'll go to the nation of Israel, there's a prophet over there that could heal you or tell you how to be healed. So Naaman takes and goes over to the nation of Israel and he meets Elijah, or he really meets the servant of Elijah. And Elijah tells the servant, go tell him to dip himself seven times in the Jordan River and when he comes up, his leprosy will be gone. And of course, if you remember the story in the Old Testament, Naaman got wroth and he got upset because he said, Are not the rivers of Farpar and Damascus much better than the muddy rivers of the Jordan? I'm not going to go dip my leprous face in, in Israel's river of Jordan. Well, all he had to do is just follow the commandment that Elijah gave him. And uh, he got wroth and mad and said, I'm not going to do it. Finally, his servant came and said, listen, what if the Lord would have asked you to do something difficult? He didn't ask you to do anything hard. And so here's his own servant saying, why don't you just go and do what he told you to do? See if it works. So he went back and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River and he came up completely healed, kind of like a baby's skin. There was no leprosy. So in our passage here, He's saying, I couldn't send Elijah to some people that wouldn't follow me and, and, and do what I commanded them to do. So I sent the Elijah over to Zarephath, and I've commanded a little widow woman there to sustain him and provide for him during this time of famine. So Elijah's going to go over to Zarephath. He's going to enter the city gates, and from that point, we're going to begin to see what's required in the mechanics of someone who is to sustain the man of God. Now, according to the Bible, the local church is supposed to sustain missionaries. We're the ones that are supposed to provide for them. God's commanded you and I to sustain God's men and women that are called to go to the mission field. Uh, he hasn't commanded anybody else to do that. He, would, he can't command those out in the world because they wouldn't follow His commandment. They don't have the faith to follow it. So God raised up the church and said, I'm going to command the church to sustain our missionary. So when we read the story here, that the little widow woman's responsibility is to sustain Elijah, he's the messenger of God. He's the missionary of God in that particular time. And so God said, I'm going to send him there because I know she'll obey my commandment. Now let me ask you a question. And it's okay to participate. It's even okay once in a while to say, I agree, amen, you bet, I'm with you. If you say that, it makes it a lot easier to preach. 
But let me ask you a question. When uh, this little widow woman was asked to and commanded, it says there in verse number 9, Arise, I commanded uh, a widow woman there to sustain thee. Even though God gives us a commandment to do things, does that guarantee that we'll actually do it? No. We're commanded to do a lot of things in the Bible as believers. And the reason we don't see the results is because we don't follow the commandment. But God said, I've commanded the widow woman there. I couldn't send him to the widows down there because they wouldn't follow the commandment. Any more than all the other lepers that were in Israel that could have been healed if they would have done what I told them to do. And so only Naaman, who followed the commandment and did what I told him to do. So God is saying, I'm able to give, make it possible for this little widow woman to sustain my messenger, my man of God, my prophet, during this time of famine, because I know she'll follow the commandment of God. And it's our hopes, and I'm sure it's this church's hopes, that when God commands us to sustain the men and women that God has called to go to the mission field, and it's the church's responsibility to do that, then we're, God is commanding us to do it. I'm hoping that just because He gives us a commandment, that we'll carry it out. We'll, we'll do more than just say, okay, it's a commandment. Well, let's do what God tells us to do. And the mechanics of missions here, uh, it starts out, he says, uh, so, uh, there in verse number 10, so Elijah, he arose from the river Cherith there, and had dried up, and he did according to what the Lord told him. He went over to Zarephath, the city there in the Phoenician Empire, and uh, he went there knowing that God had already sustained him, And he knew that if God called him to go over to this area, that God would have somebody there to sustain him there. And so when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. So can you picture in your mind this little widow woman whose husband has died and she's got one son left and it's in the midst of a famine and there's no, there's no bread in the land there. Everybody's dying. The cattle are dying. The rivers are dry, drying up. Uh, because uh, all of this providence and area was under the judgment of God because of Ahab and Jezebel that Elijah had pronounced upon them. And so she's out just gathering a couple of sticks so she can come back and get a little fire started and she can make up the little bit of bread or the cornmeal that's down in the bottom of the barrel because uh, it, it gives you the indication that at one time the barrel might have been full of cornmeal But over time, with a famine, she had nothing to replenish the barrel. So now it's down to where she's scraping at the bottom of the barrel with her fingertips. And she's able to gather just enough uh, of of meal in the bottom of the barrel to make one more little cake. That's the the picture that I get. She must have, this was going to be her last meal. She must have reached down in the bottom of the barrel and said to her son, this is all that's left. This is all that we've got left to sustain us. We don't have much anymore. And so then she goes to the cruise of oil where she would mix that in with the meal. And the cruise of oil had just enough oil in the bottom of the little cruise of oil to make up that little cake. So she's, she's in the city gathering the sticks there to make this little fire. And uh, Elijah calls to her. Look at verse number 10. Elijah enters the city and he sees her and he calls to her. And said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now I want you to just write down, if you've got a pen 
or a pencil or whatever. It's always good to bring paper and pens to church and mark in your Bibles and take notes. It helps you to keep attention better. And it'll also be able to give you something to refer back to. But I want you to know that in order for her to carry out the commandment of God to sustain the, the missionary of that day, she had to, first of all, be just willing to follow God's commandment. Now, that's the first F I want to give you. We're not here to improve upon the commandments of God. We're not here to change the commandments of God. All we're supposed to do as God's children is follow the commandment of God. Don't you think that God knows the plan and knows better than us how to take care of his missionaries? You know, we'd sit there and say, well, maybe there's a better plan than the church doing it. Maybe the missionary could come up with another way of doing it. No, God's got the plan already devised. That's why God, you know, gave us salvation. There's not a better plan of salvation than the one that God gave. And so God gives us the plan, and then He commands His children to say, I'm using you to sustain this missionary. Now, let me say this to you. Did God have to use the widow woman to do this? I mean, no, He didn't, because He'd already sustained him without any human involvement when He sent him over to the river Cherith. And there, uh, that river gave him the water. And God, God's got the power to even command birds. And birds have to obey God, just like the winds and the waves have to obey God. So God commands birds. He could have said, when the river dried up, go over to another stream or river, and I'll command birds to feed you there. And God could have used that plan. But His plan was to send him to Zarephath so He could use a little widow woman there. Now... The only people, and I was reading through kind of the history of this, the only people that would have had some real sustenance and some would have hoarded would have been the very wealthy of the Phoenician Empire. This lady was not a wealthy woman. She was just a widow woman with one little son. And isn't it interesting, instead of God commanding a rich person to take care of Elijah, would have had all kinds of, of meal in his barrel and water and stored up and so forth. Isn't it interesting that God uses the little widow woman to do it? Because I'm convinced that God doesn't use always the rich and the mighty and the noble and those to take care of the things of God. He uses the weak things and the despised things and the things that are rejected and the things that, that to confound the wise, the Bible said. So when God gets ready to use someone to take care of Elijah, he picks the most uh, unexpected individual to do that. You know what I found in pastoring a church? That many times God uses within our congregations some of the most uh, unexpected individuals to take care of His work. Sometimes we look at people in our churches who have great jobs, maybe doctors or lawyers, or have a great amount of income, And we'd think, well, boy, we're so glad they came into our church. They're really going to help our church. Well, listen, God wouldn't get the glory if somebody who was rich and had all kinds of sustenance provided for the church. Now, he can use that. And sometimes God says not many noble, so not many rich. So he does sometimes use the rich. Sometimes he uses the noble to do the work of God and sustain. But most of the time, God picks somebody that doesn't have it so that God can provide it, and then God gets the glory for it. And that's the way it works. And that's the way it's even worked at our church over the years. You know, some of our mission 
people in our church. We had a little lady in our church that lost her husband. She was a widow woman. She was living on $600 a month in her Social Security check. And uh, she came to me and she said, Pastor, she was from West Virginia. She had a West Virginia uh, dialect there or, uh, you know, way she spoke. And so she said, Pastor, I don't know how I'm going to be able to provide for able to give more this year. I still ain't got any more than $600. And, and she said, but I want to increase my giving. And I said, well, have the Lord tell you what he wants you to get. So she came up after the conference was over. She said, Pastor, I increased my giving $5 a week. She said, I have no idea where it's going to come from. And so she said, I'm going to start. She, she knitted and sewed and she did seams work. And she said, so I'm going to start letting folks know that I, I can pay, you know, him their pants and I can do that. And I'm just going to charge $5 to do clothes. And so the, that entire year, she came at the end of the year and she said, God provided my extra $5 every single week through the entire year. And I thought to myself, it's people like that that God's using in our church because she has the faith to believe that God can provide it. And somebody rich doesn't have the faith, so God doesn't send uh, his missionaries to the rich many times who are afraid to give up some of that and trust God. Instead, he goes to the little widow women many times and those that don't have much who have great faith, and that's where God sends Elijah. And so he says, I want you to go and take care of my man of God. Now, the simple point is simply this. If God's commanded us to sustain the missionary, all we've got to do is follow the plan of God. It works. God's plan works. Faith promise works. You know, we started out with, when we started out uh, 36 years ago, we took on our first missionary. One missionary. Now I think we support 125 missionaries. We just had a little budget of saying, oh boy, our church is going to give $6,000 this year to World Mission. I think that was like what we promised the first year with just a little handful of people. <clears throat> and as we gave, they gave, that began to grow and develop until finally it's now way up there into the hundreds of thousands of dollars and many, many missionaries because people have continued to follow the plan of God that always works. And so there's no better way to improve the plan. You can't come up with another way. Well, why don't we all go sell something and bring all that money and put it into the missions account? Well, that, that God may touch upon you to do something like that, but, but God is wanting us to trust Him every week. You know, daily provision. And so she just had to follow the plan of God. There's a second thought here, and uh, that notice he, he came to her and he said, Go fetch me the water. So I put down the word fetch. And really, the word fetch here, not just follow the plan, but now he wants her to get personally involved. Not just follow God's plan. I'm telling you, I want you to go fetch me the water. So the Bible says she had to go fetch, which speaks of her personal involvement. And that's what missions requires. It requires everybody to get personally involved. It only happens when I'm willing to do as God's asked me to do. Personally involved. Everybody in here, including the youngest child, should be giving to missions. I have seven grandchildren that go to our church. Of the nine grandchildren that I have, two of them live in another, or another family lives in another state. So seven of our grandchildren. We have little 
little ones. My, my little granddaughter, she said, uh, Grandpa, I want to give to missions this year too. Because we teach all the kids in all the lower classes to start giving. So she goes and she picks lemons and she picks fruit from all the different fruit trees around the area. She sets out by the street and she sells fruit and she sells lemonade. And uh, for 10 cents a glass, you know, the lemonade stand type thing. And the money she gets, she puts into her account and so that she can give all of that to world missions. This is a little tiny girl. And so she's out there selling lemonade one day. She comes running in. She goes, I, 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 my first customer, I made 20 bucks. I went, what? What kind of, how big are the glasses that you're given in lemonade? She said, well, the first car pulled up and said, well, how cute. So she gave, the guy gives her $20 for a glass of lemonade. So she's already got $20 in her missions account. And I think she promised $5 a week or something like that. I mean, we've got full adults that don't give $5 a week. Here's a little girl who has the faith to believe that if, that if I, God's commanded me too, I'm a part of the church. Uh, God's commanded me to follow His plan. God's commanded me to get personally involved and go fetch some of this. So she gets personally involved by the, within just a matter of weeks, she's got 70 some dollars. And uh, she comes and says, hey, I've already up to $75 for my missions account. And so even our kids should be taught to get involved and be personally involved in it. Then notice verse number 13. It says here, and Elijah said unto her, fear not. Now, it would have been kind of fearful, would it not? Think about this. Under the conditions that the widow woman is under at this time, She's only got just enough meal in a barrel and enough oil in a cruise to make one little cake. And she even said, I'm making the last meal for me and my son. And then what are we going to do? We're going to die because there's nothing left. And so Elijah says, I want you to go there in verse number 13. And he said, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to go and do as thou hast said, but I want you to make me thereof a little cake first. Now, sometimes when we don't have a lot, listen to me, when we're on a fixed income, when we're on a a budget, when we don't know where we're going to be able to increase our giving more, and we're under difficult times, sometimes it becomes a little fearful, and we get a little bit afraid to step out and make a commitment because we're afraid that if we do that, we won't have enough to meet our own needs. And she could have used that as an excuse She could have said to Elijah, I'd like to give you the cake, but I only got enough for me and my son. I don't have enough in my budget, in my barrel, in my oil to give to you. I'm going to have to take care of me and my son first. We're in a time of famine here. This is all I've got, and you're asking me to give you what I've got? She could have said that. But she obviously had... He knew that there would be some fear in carrying out this commandment. So Elijah assures her, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid to do this. Don't be afraid to mark the card. Don't be afraid to say, Lord, I'm going to increase my giving. Don't be afraid to do it. It, it, Because fear, fear, uh, a lot of times, uh, we're simply afraid to follow and trust God. We sometimes fear that we won't have enough ourselves. Sometimes fear stops us from witnessing. Fear stops us from giving. Sometimes fear stops us from serving. Sometimes fear stops us from taking our stand. I mean, a lot of times we're limiting God just simply because we're too afraid to do what God's commanded us to do. Hey, stop being afraid. Stop being fearful. Don't be afraid. 
to do what God's commanded you to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you honestly think he would command the church to sustain the missionaries if he wasn't planning on providing for you, making sure you had enough? He would. He's not going to stand there and say, give what you got and then good luck. Hope you make it on the rest of your budget. That's not the way God works. He commands the least expected to help. And so she's not to be afraid. Then notice in verse 13, he says something else. Uh, he says, fear not, go and do as thou hast said. In other words, go make your little cake. But notice what in the next verse, part of the verse. But make me thereof a little cake what? What's it say? Make it for me first. What, what was the man of God saying? You put me first before yourself. I'm God's representative. I'm the one that's here for you to sustain. You put me here first. So he was basically saying... You just follow what God's commanded you to do, and you get involved in getting me the water, and then you go and make your cake, and don't be afraid to make the cake, but you give it to me first. Give it to me first. You know, the Bible says in all things God might have the preeminence. We're to put God first. God's to be first in our life and everything. So the mechanics of missions is, is that God has to come first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. And then last of all, look at verse number 14 here. He says, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Now he's, he's basing, he says, Go and do what you, you, you're going to do. Make the cake, but give it to me first, and then bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Now how is she going to make another cake for her and her son if there's no more in the barrel? How is she going to put a little oil on that cake that's not there? How is she going to do that? He's saying, listen, if you give it to me first, I promise you there'll be enough afterwards to take care of you and your son. Now, she's going to have to put faith in that. And that's the, the last element of, of missions, really, in sustaining God's man is faith. So, he, he, she, the Bible says here, for thus saith the Lord. He's basing it on the commandment of God. The barrel of meal shall not waste. In other words, you won't have to worry about it. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. You know what he was saying to her? God's going to take care of you until the famine's completely over. And then beyond that as well. So she went. Boy, that's, that's the response we're looking for. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah. She and he and her house did eat. How many days? Many days. And what happened? The barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord uh, which uh, he spake by Elijah. Now, I don't think God filled the barrel up. I don't think after she grabbed that lattice little piece of cake and put a meal together and said, okay, I'm going to have to believe you by faith. If you say that God will sustain me and, and take care of my needs by putting God first, I'll give you the cake. So she gives him the cake. Then she goes back to the barrel. I don't think the barrel was completely full. I think when she reached down into the barrel, I think Elijah said, go over there and see if there's any more in the barrel. She must have thought in her mind, I already know there's nothing left in the barrel. But she went down into the barrel and pulled out enough. And boy, there was, there was enough there to take care of her and her son. There was enough oil in the thing. And so God was actually, each day that she needed a meal, she'd reach into the barrel. And God was always providing on a daily basis to take care of her, to take care of Elijah, to take care of her son. He was always providing, always taking care, making sure that they had provision because she trusted him by faith. 
And when you have the faith to believe God, and that's what missions is all about, is that I'm going to give by faith. I'm going to see that God will provide for me. I'm going to read you one more verse, and I want you to turn over with me, and then we're going to close. I'm not going to really explain the verse, but it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. <clears throat> and notice what it says in verse number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now watch this. Here's what he says. Every man, according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And look at verse number 8, and then we'll conclude. And God is what? I want you to read this with me. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So God is saying, if you'll give bountifully and not sparingly and purpose in your heart to do this, God will always see that you have sufficiency for all the things that you need. So when I've always believed that by faith. And so that's why it's been easy every year to increase my giving. Because every year for the last 48 years, God's always put the meal in the barrel, always put the cruise in the oil, and it doesn't make any difference what I go through. I've always tried to follow the plan of God. I've always just tried to go and get involved in the missions program of our church. I've never tried to be afraid. I've always put, tried to put God first. And, I, and, and then I've just trusted Him by faith. Trusted Him by faith to do what God's told us to do. Let's stand together this morning. Really, those, those F's, those little F's that are in that passage of Scripture are basically the outline to us sustaining the missionaries that God has sent through your church. Father, we thank you this morning for uh, this good church family and the attitude they have to have to take on a missions conference and help provide and sustain for the missionaries. We pray that you'll use the service now and the next hour to glorify your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.